Be renewed. We need to be renewed, folks. Um, we renew a lot of things. And, uh, and the first thing we're going to see is kind of a review of last week. Seek the heavenly. If you're going to be renewed, you're going to be changed inwardly, you need to first of all seek the heavenly, and that's the theme of verses 1 through 4. Would you read it with me, please? Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Last week, just to give you a review in case you missed it, um, because of our union with Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, we have experienced a spiritual resurrection. We have a new life. That We, we were spiritually dead. We had no knowledge of God or interest in the things of God, no relationship with him. But when we trusted in Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God did a work of regeneration in us. And we have been given spiritual life that we enjoy from then for all eternity. We have also have a new focus. He tells us in verse 2 and 3 to set our minds and affections on things above, on heavenly things. And the the point is this, when your mind, where your mind goes, your affections and your attitudes follow. What you focus on will determine how you live, is another way to put that. Um, and as Christians, we are to look beyond the stuff of life to things of eternal value. That's why we might choose to, instead of buying uh, a really, really fancy new car, to instead drive maybe something that's not quite as fancy so that we have more discretionary income to give to missions, to help the gospel to go around the world. That is seeking things above, not on things on the earth. As Christians, we are to look beyond the now to eternity. Third thing we saw last week is we have a bright future because of our union with Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, we will appear with him. We will return with him. And uh, so we are told to seek the heavenly. So today we're going to look into some new territory in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Would you read these words with me, please? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. We are not only to seek the heavenly, we are to slay the earthly. Uh, he mentions this in our text. Slay the earthly. Put to death, therefore, on the basis of the position you have in Christ. 
In basis, on the basis of your new life in Christ, there are things you are to put to death. And sometimes we have trouble with that concept. What do you mean put it to death? Well, I think that he explained it in Romans 6, verses 11 through 13, when he said this, In the same way, count or consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Well, how do we do that? We do it with a series of choices according to the text of Romans 6. He says, rather than letting sin reign in your mortal body and obeying its evil desires and offering the parts of your body as sin, rather offer yourselves to God. It's a conscious choice that we make. Someone has once said to me, well, Pastor, I just can't help myself. You know what that is? There's a theological word for it. It's baloney. Before you became a Christian and you were indwelled by the Spirit of God, maybe you could make that claim. I can't help myself. But once you put your trust in Christ, you're indwelled by the Spirit of God, you have His strength. And along with that goes the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. And the problem is, is that so many Christians just simply don't choose to make that choice and consciously remind themselves of who they now are in Christ, what their new standing is before God, what their position is in Christ, and the strength that is available to them, and the power that is available to say no to sin and yes to God. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to righteousness. And then in verses 5 through 7, he gives us a list of what we would maybe say are sensual sins. One is sexual immorality or fornication, as it reads in the NIV. It means sexual immorality in general. It basically means any sexual activity outside of marriage. There's also the idea of impurity, which carries with it the idea of, of lust. Evil desires, which means dwelling on things that excite sexual impurity. Our culture is increasingly sexual. And uh, there are too many things out there available to us. And I want to say a word to us as men today. We have to be really, really careful about where we go on the Internet. Because where you go on the Internet, your mind will go. And where your mind will go, your attitudes and actions will follow. People do not fall into sexual sin overnight or suddenly. It is a process, and little by little, there is the compromise in their lives of who they are in Christ and the power that is available to say no to these things. And rather than say no to them, like the drug thing, just say no. Don't go there. Get your focus on something else. And we need to practice that in our lives, particularly as men. 
The point is this. If we would purify our actions, we must first purify our minds. I once worked when I was going through uh, Bible college for a company. And half of the workforce were guys from our college and half were from Cal Berkeley. And uh, that was an interesting mix of ideas and uh, philosophies of life and one thing and another. One of the things that went with that was some pretty raunchy language. And I found that I needed to take a shower mentally, frequently, to get my mind off of those things. And we'll talk more about that later. But if we would purify our actions, we must first purify our minds. What we desire will determine what we do. So make sure your focus are on the right things. We must get rid of these things in our lives and say no to them. And then there is a list of social, what we call social sins. Sin is sin, but they kind of fall into different categories at times. The first he mentions is greed, which leads to idolatry. And greed does that. I always want something better than what I have or something that someone else has. That thing will become my focus emotionally, and that will become a take the place of God in my life, and that is idolatry. The next thing we mentioned are, is habit or anger. It's a habitual attitude of being angry. Have you ever met some people who are just are always ticked off, just always in a bad mood? That kind of person would normally fall into this category. Now, sometimes there are physiological reasons why people struggle in this area, and I understand that, and God understands it. But if there are no physiological issues, and you are just simply always ticked off in a bad mood, this is something you need to address with the Lord. He says, put it off, get rid of it. A Christian who's always ticked off about something doesn't do much to attract people to Jesus Christ. Then wrath is mentioned. This is a sudden outburst of anger. Um, I once had a guy in, in one of my churches who one day got in an argument with his wife at the meal table. The boys were sitting around the table with him. And he ended up grabbing his plate and bouncing it off the wall. And his kids sit there going, what happened? Well, this guy had come from a really, really rough background. He had a lot of trouble with fire trucks. It's just a joke. Everybody wave. And he had so much anger stored up in him from his being raised the way he was and with the abuse that he took from his dad in particular that there were times when it just something just triggered it and he just flipped out and sometimes there are if you will psychological reasons for that but that's not really not an excuse this is something we need to bring under the control of the Holy Spirit and uh, we'll talk about how we do that in a few moments we must get rid of Christian carries around with them. Thank you. 
The next is the word blasphemy. And normally we think of blasphemy as something that people do in reference to God. But basically we can also have blasphemy or, if you will, slander towards other people. We can tear down another person uh, and we do it sometimes to uh, make ourselves look good. That is something that we need to be careful of. That, uh, and that in our lives is not there. And then we have filthy language or filthy communication. It's coarse humor. It's obscene language. And again, our society, our culture is just riddled with this kind of humor. I was raised in a Christian home. Went to a number of years to a Christian college or school, grade school and high school, and then on to Christian college. So I kind of lived in a protected environment for much of my life. But, you know, I can probably remember every dirty story I ever heard. I wish I couldn't. It's hard. And I'm able to control passing that along to other people. But sometimes there are things that come along that trigger that. And, boy, you think, you think I can remember a Bible verse sometimes? No. But I can sure remember those stories. And I think the older a person is, before they come to Christ, the more they have these issues that we're talking about to deal with because the old programming has been there for a long, long time. And God says we can be reprogrammed, and we're going to talk about that again in a few minutes. And then we have lying. It's falsehood, misrepresenting the truth with the intent to deceive another person. And he says don't lie to each other. Be truthful with each other. The idea is this, clean up your mind, clean up your actions. You've got to clean up your mind first. And then, if you will notice God's view of these things, Colossians 3, 6 through 8, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and so on. Now, we've talked about those things already, but he says this, God's wrath is coming on the world because of all of this garbage. So you used to live this way, but don't live that way any longer. You don't have to because of your union with Christ and who you are in him number of times in my life I'm reminded of Psalm 51.10 where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. How much we need that today. So we are to focus on the heavenly, and we are to slay the earthly. And then we are to strengthen the Christly. Obviously, I was stretching to make this alliteration, but you get it anyway. In verses 10 and 11, you've put off the old self, and he says, and you've put on the new self. Now, I used the analogy of a shower earlier. The Apostle Paul in this text uses the analogy of changing your clothing. 
take off one set of clothing, which is the old life, the old attitudes, and you put on the new wardrobe. Part of that new life, he says, is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. First of all, he says, be renewed, verse 10. I was thinking a lot about this this week. And this fact came to my mind. The better we get to know Christ, the more we become like him. And you say, well, that's interesting. What do you mean know him? Well, I think we get a pattern from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. And I don't have that verse up for you, but you uh, can write that reference down. We have Peter and John being brought before the elders and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem. And they are there basically before the Sanhedrin. And remember the Sanhedrin a few weeks earlier had seen to it that Jesus was crucified. And so now we have Peter and John are preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And so these people drag them in to confront them. And they have, they have actually healed a man and, and cured him in the name of Jesus. And they told the Sanhedrin, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They spent three and a half years with him. They heard what he said. They watched him as he dealt with people. They saw the miracles he was performed. To where he's gone now. He's back up at the right hand of the Father. But what's happening? Well, what's happening is that these guys are carrying on his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And his character is seen in their lives. And they remembered, oh, these guys haven't been to college and seminary, but man, look at, look at what they have done. Listen to what they have said. Oh, yeah. They spend a lot of time with Jesus. They are like him. When this happened, these people were not known as Christians. Do you realize that? They were followers of the way. Later on, followers of Christ became known as Christians. And that term at first was a term of mocking and derision because it meant little Christ's. And when you met a Christian in the first century, part of that was a connection with Jesus. 
and his character being seen in and through your life as a witness to the world of the reality of who Jesus is. And today you and I can't follow him around physically, but we can still hear what he said. Pick up your Bible, open it to the Gospels and read and study. What did he teach? What did he believe? How did he deal with people? And we find there a pattern for us to follow. The point is this, God's purpose for us is to be Christ-like as we live our lives today. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made nude. I say nude? New, excuse me. To be made new. Where? In the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, put off your old self, put off the old way of life, be made new in your minds, and then your actions and attitudes will follow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In this text, this is where this is found, Paul makes reference to Moses. You remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law? He spent some time alone with the Lord, and when he came down, his face was so bright that literally it physically affected the people looking on him, and he had to put some kind of covering over his head so that people could actually look at him physically. And it's in that context that he says this, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. The Lord wants us to be Christ-like, to reflect his glory and his character to the world. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, speaks about a day in which we will be like him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what, will we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. God's purpose for you and me today is Christ-likeness, that our lives would reflect Christ's character and his glory to the world. We can't do that in our own strength and our own power. It's something that God does in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully that's an increasing thing in our lives. But the day is going to come when the Lord returns, when we're going to see him, and because of that, we're going to be like him. And we're going to be like him just because we're with him. 
And then he says this, everybody who has this hope does what? Says no to the old and yes to the new. Purifies himself just as he is pure. I can't purify myself in one sense, but I can be a partner in with the Holy Spirit. Why? God has given me his word. He's given me truth. He's given me the spirit of God. He's given me the ability to say no to sin and yes to the Lord. I have to make that decision on a daily basis. That's my part. But the strength and the power to change and be transformed and be renewed is something that the Lord does within me as I do my part. That makes sense to you? It's the way it works. And if I'm not willing to do my part, I can't expect the Holy Spirit to do a hocus-pocus deal on me and change me. When we do our part, the Lord does His. So be renewed. And then he says this, be reconciled in verse 11. Interesting verse. He says to us, In Christ there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, he's talking about human reconciliation here. Normally we think of reconciliation in terms of our relationship with God. But here he's talking about human beings, followers of Christ being reconciled to each other. There were tremendous differences between Jew and Gentile at this stage of human history. The Gentiles have been totally eliminated in the mind of the Jews from God's plan for the world. They were without God and they were without hope in the world. In fact, if you went to the temple in Jerusalem to worship Jehovah, there was a sign that says, no Gentiles allowed beyond this point. You can't get any closer to God than this. Tremendous differences. And that was the big, one of the big, big issues in the first century between, in the early church, between Jews and Gentiles, and Jewish believers being willing to follow fire trucks. No, just a joke. Being willing to accept Gentile believers into the church. And again, the council meeting in uh, Jerusalem, read Acts 15, all about that. And they were included in the church. And he says there's no difference in Christ's kingdom. Human differences don't exist in Christ's kingdom. There's no distinction between races. And there's no distinction between cultures. You have barbarian and Scythian mentioned here. And again, the barbarians were basically a reflection of a culture that was unrefined, had no influence of anything of God in it. And the Scythians were even worse. I don't know exactly who they were. I don't believe there was a place called Scythia. But they have the idea that these were a group of people who were apparently really, really well-known for just being really, really foul. And he says there's no differences in Christ's kingdom between cultures. And there's no distinction between social groups, slave and free. And uh, there's another verse of Scripture that talks about there's no, diff there's no distinction between male and female. There are no distinctions 
in Christ's kingdom. And so after explaining our new position in Christ, verses 1 through 4, Paul explains that we must live up to our new standing in Christ. And for that to happen, we must change our clothing, if you will. Certain things we've got to take off, put them off. Certain things, certain attitudes we need to put on. And we do that with Christ's help. Paul explains that we must live up to our new standing. Put off. Get rid of the grave clothes. Now, can you imagine a person being dead? Remember, remember Lazarus? Jesus raised him back to life, John 11. And he came out of the grave after four days of being dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out. He came up and says, bound in his grave clothes. Can you imagine Lazarus wanting to put those things back on again? Makes no sense. Why would a Christian who has new life in Christ want to continue to live with the old clothing, with the old attitudes, with the old actions? And apparently he would not give us this command to put something off if we did not have the ability through Christ to do it. Get rid of the grave clothes. The attitudes and actions of your old way of life. And then there's something to put on. See, the Lord doesn't say just get rid of this stuff. Well, what's the alternative? Put on. We're told in one passage of Scripture to put on Jesus Christ, which means put on his character, his attributes. We're going to talk more about that next week because the text deals with the things that we are to put on. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, first of all, as we've already discussed, consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. I would suggest something that you put something by your door that you go in and out or something on the dashboard of your car that says dead to sin. Because you need to be reminded that you have the ability to consider yourself to be dead to sin because of Christ in you. And that you are alive to God. And again, Romans 6, count or consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. You can make the choice. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Offer the parts of your body to God. Live as those who have been brought from death to life and the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Remind yourself that you have undergone as a follower of Christ a spiritual resurrection. And we are called to live a new life. So consider yourself dead to sin and then be renewed. One of the best verses of this is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world program you any longer. Don't let the world press you into its mold. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, you just you don't do it by reading the wrong stuff and watching the wrong stuff. 
You do it by spending time alone with the Lord and in his word and allowing his words to basically impact your life and, and to personalize them into your life. And as you do that, you will be changed. You'll be renewed. Christianity is not about conformity. It's not conforming to a list. It is being transformed. And that transformation takes place by the renewed of our mind because where your mind goes, your attitudes and your actions will follow. Be renewed. And you know something? That's something I can't do for you. If the only time you spend with God is on Sundays, as good as that is and important as that is, if that's the only time you spend alone with the Lord, you're going to be transformed and renewed very, very slowly. But as you grow as a Christian and learn to feed yourself spiritually by getting into the Word of God on a daily basis and personalizing that into your life, you will find your mind being renewed and you'll find your life will change. And the result will be glory for God. And a lot less complication for you. Because when we live according to the old self, we really complicate our lives because we have actions that hurt other people. We have attitudes that hurt other people. And as God changes those things, People are not torn down. They're built up. And you and I become ambassadors for Jesus Christ that he can use for his glory. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we are thankful that you have not put us alone on this earth to try to change ourselves. That your will for us is to be like Jesus. That people would look at us and understand in an accurate way, what he is like. That they might understand that he loves them because we do. That he loves righteousness because we live righteously. And that, God, you are glorified by that. You are honored by that. So we pray that this week you would help us in this process of renewal. Remind us that we have a part to play. that we put off certain actions and attitudes and we put on the new man through our relationship personally with you. We ask you to do in us what we can't change in ourselves. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.